If your DPF warning light comes on, here's what you do. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au, the place where Australian new car buyers save thousands off their next new cars. Hit me up on the website for that. So when your DPF warning light comes on, it's unsettling. But just remember this one simple thing. Orange warning lights represent subcritical engine problems. You need to act ultimately, that's for sure, but it is not life and death for your engine right now. Red warning lights, on the other hand, they are reserved absolutely for imminent life and death problems like overheating and things like that, no oil, whatever. So vehicles are all subtly different, all right? And the DPF light activation scheme varies subtly between them. Step number one, therefore, consult your owner's manual and do exactly what it says in this situation. <laughs> Knock me down with a feather. A flashing orange DPF warning light, or whatever the primary activation mode is on your vehicle, it just tells you that the filter is getting a bit loaded up and a burn or regeneration is necessary and or overdue for some reason. And the car knows this because it measures the pressure drop across the DPF. More pressure drop equals more clogging equals the need to regenerate now. And regeneration is usually seamless and automatic and hidden in the background of driving so you don't notice it. But for some reason, this process has fallen over on your vehicle and you need to address it. So as soon as you can, why not just get out on the highway and go for a free flowing cruise? Make this a priority because not addressing this problem is going to get expensive. And you don't have a bunch of time, but you know, you don't have to get out on the road this afternoon. Do it tomorrow. Aim for about an hour of cruising. Call it 50 Ks one way, turn around and return for 100 all up. Don't do something kooky, okay, instead. Don't shift to second gear and rev the crap out of the engine on some quiet suburban back street or try any other... Cockamamie hack to regenerate your car. Specific conditions have to be met before a filter will regenerate. And highway cruising is simply the easiest way to meet those conditions. And if the light goes out, then it worked. Congratulations, excellent. If not, okay, you're gonna need to visit a workshop and it can be a dealership or an independent workshop, but if it's an independent workshop, make sure they're familiar with your brand of car and this brand of problem. They can plug in to the diagnostic port, it's just down there under the dashboard, you've probably never seen it, and they can force the vehicle to do an aggressive regeneration in the service bay without moving. And that might just turn the car's DPF frown upside down. If so, yes. But if it doesn't work, you can look at getting the DPF clean. They can inject some special solvent and attempt to break up the blockage. And this is absolutely worth a shot too, because this is much cheaper than replacing the DPF. Of course, this does not always work. And if it doesn't, sadly, in your case, and you're up for the cost of a new DPF, the cost of a genuine replacement unit from the authorized dealer 
might just about give you heart failure. They do typically charge an arm and a leg for these things and it's really not justified. So before agreeing to paying this horrendous markup amount, investigate some aftermarket options because you might be able to save considerably. As DPFs proliferate on all of our roads, the economies of scale that go behind producing good quality aftermarket units, they keep improving, and this could save you a few hundred to a few thousand bucks, depending on your vehicle and the availability. A couple of other things for you to realise though, right? Most DPF problems are caused by a failure to do that adequate highway driving for regeneration. If you have a DPF equipped vehicle, just try to get out on the open road once a fortnight for about one hour minimum. Get the vehicle serviced on time too and don't let any ham-fisted knucklehead do the work. It's essential that exactly the right low ash oil be used in your sump and there are often key computer settings that need to be reset with every oil change. For example, there's an oil dilution setting that in particular needs to be reset so that the car can make smarter decisions about exactly when to regenerate the filter based on the age and condition of the oil. It's really important. So if your mechanic gives you the same kind of stare as a dead mackerel when you mention this to him, it's probably time to look for a better mechanic. The other thing to remember is that DPF faults are often symptoms rather than the core problem itself. And this is so important to realise. DPF warning lights herald a blockage, but the blockage can be a symptom that perhaps you're not doing enough highway driving. That's something to investigate, certainly, but it can also be symptomatic of a more malicious and harder to diagnose engine type mechanical problem. For example, if there's an air leak in the inlet after the turbo and the MAF sensor, then the MAF sensor is going to read too high relative to the air that's actually making it into the engine. The car is then going to overfuel continuously. It's going to run rich, in other words, without any respite. And when that happens, particle production goes through the roof and the filter keeps clogging. The symptom, okay, is the clogging, but the disease is a crack in the inlet air plumbing. And if you don't cure the disease, the symptoms will just keep popping up, no matter how often you replace the filter. There might also be a problem with the pressure sensor across the filter, the one that tells the light to turn itself on or the injector used to perform an active regeneration when you're on the move, if the car uses that and has one of those. So what I'm saying here is you often need a really good mechanic with high level fault finding skills to get to the bottom of this problem. Dealerships often do not have these skills and it's easy to get trapped into this Groundhog Day, DPF death, hell on earth replacement experience where you pay the big bucks, replace the DPF and then it just dies again after a few weeks to months repeat. And if that happens, right, it is a massive wake up call that the repairer is treating the symptom and not the disease. Basically, it's a big ticket item, the DPF, and some people say just delete them and reflash the computer. And I've got two problems with that, okay? Number one, it is illegal, and if you get caught, the fine is worth more than a new DPF in many jurisdictions. 
Number two, DPFs are installed because the particles that they trap give human beings, that would be you and me and the people we love, the particles give us cancer. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather have a DPF than lung cancer. Call me old-fashioned. So if your DPF warning light lights up, don't panic, it's not an emergency, but don't ignore it either because it's not going away on its own. You must act. And if you do ignore it, the problem is just going to get worse, meaning much more expensive. And now this from you, based on recent comments of excellence. Yes. I love a dealer bashing as much as anyone, but why would you sign a contract to buy a vehicle you don't want? I know, superficially it does seem somewhat stupid, but people get carried away in the moment, and car salesmen are extremely persuasive slash coercive, aren't they? We all like to think that we're all so rational and logical, right? But a rational and logical assessment of human behaviour, I'd suggest, quickly reveals just how irrational and illogical we all are often enough. Just look at who gets married to whom. Science has been big in the comments too recently, and this is a great question. John, excuse my ignorance, does it go hypothesis, proof or verification theory? Why not just use the term fact? I almost feel guilty using the nut voice there, right? Because basically, yes, it does work like that. You have to have a thought bubble, right? The hypothesis, and then you and others, hopefully, test the crap out of that under, ideally, controlled conditions. And if you do this many, 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 a lot, and the results confirm your hypothesis, it becomes a theory. Yes. The reason why we call it Newton's theory of universal gravitation, okay, is because unlike that bullshit in the Bible or the Quran, for example, gravity is amenable to being updated and edited if an idea comes along that's just better at explaining reality. So if you jump off the sixth floor balcony, Newton predicts the results pretty well. I think we'd all agree. So it's unlikely that there's going to be a significant update on that. And in lay terms, fact could easily replace theory in this domain of common gravitational interactions. Gravity is absolutely a fact in this context. Jumping out of a plane, parachute not optional. <laughs> That's a fact. Einstein upgraded Newton's theory when it comes to things like black holes and stars, all right? Huge phenomena and stuff that moves really, really fast. Newton can't actually be used to make things like GPS work, for example. You need relativity for that. So relativity is essentially Newton 2.0 for gravity in that domain. And science is happy about that because, hey, it can be edited and updated. Scientists, however, continue to argue the toss about gravity and how to integrate it with quantum theory because gravity does not integrate all that well with quantum mechanics. But they do try. And if you're interested in that, you can check out Fermilab's excellent video on loop quantum gravity yes, to experience multiple brain bleeds. And I especially like the particularly evil notion in that that they can quantize mass, length, and time. <laughs> yes! And if Satan himself did not have a hand in that,
and I don't know who did. Stop apologising for giving us scientific information, John! To quote Richard Dawkins, who I think was quoting someone else at the time, science is interesting, and if you don't agree, you can fuck off! Well, yeah, I am totally on board with that too, and I'm wondering what's gotten into you nuts? Are you trying to give me the guilts? Richard Dawkins, 13 out of a possible 10, I'd suggest. Also, facts are so great because they don't actually give a shit if anyone disagrees with them. Regardless of how you feel, they're still facts. The nice thing about scientific leaps of faith is that the background maths and the understanding that comes along with it are all available if one wants to check the calculations. One can confirm it all, with effort, of course. All right, that's it. Frankly, I have had enough. You lot have breached the nutbag code of ethics by making sense. Because this is also quite true. Leaps of faith are quite reasonable to take if there's a good basis for believing them, of course. We do this all the time. It's called learning. Which brings me to, thankfully, a proper nut job. Faith is merely the art of accepting something that you don't know for certain. Really, John? One would think that this would be the definition of assumption. It's a common, folks, pa, to define faith the way you've defined it. Faith, in fact, is always informed. Blind faith? Well, that's just euphemism for plain stupidity. I never thought I would feel this much relief, but thank you. Faux pas is P-A-S, <laughs> just saying. Faith is exactly what I said. So there's good faith and bad faith, certainly. Faith is always clearly informed, as you said, Lodia. Blind faith is informed by nothing, of course. Religious faith is informed by Bronze Age bullshitters who had no idea how the world worked, what diseases were caused by, how gravity or aerodynamics worked, what the stars were etc. Science, on the other hand, is informed by reason. It's proved by repeatable testing and integrability with the observable world. It just works, right? Planes fly, boats float, bullets hit the target. When your GPS powers up, it tells you where you are. It really is that simple, which is why it's nuts to have faith in religion, but not nuts to have faith in science. If you have an epileptic fit, for example, I'm happy to get you an exorcist or anti-seizure medication. It's completely up to you. Just a quick update before I let you go. Nunswithbigcans.com has been taken. Pornography does not get much more niche than this, I suggest. And it's a trend that I'm very proud to say I started. Yes. I just dreamed it up as a satirical gag for that report on April 24, and it came up in the comments several times subsequently, and now, on May the 2nd, some entrepreneurial pornographer in his basement has snatched it up. Yes, snatched it. There's probably a classier way to put it in the context. Anyway, never let it be said that you are not at the cutting edge trend-wise as a subscriber to this proud automotive science prototypical niche pornography channel. Yes. Nunswithhugecans.com, still available, but not for long. Competition, I'm sure, will heat up in the nun domain. You can take that to the bank. And by bank, of course, I mean... Vatican.